I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. Are you a parent? No. Mm -mm. And how do you feel about that? Oh, I think it sucks. This is Opportunity Costs from Death, Sex, and Money. I immediately thought, oh, he's a rich boy. A series all about class, which we think about a lot. Oh boy, class. And need to talk about more. Money can't buy you class, darlings. I'm Anna Sale. Christine is 42 and lives in Chicago with her husband. They both work in the theater business. She paints sets and backdrops. And they make enough money to get by, but not enough to have much in reserves. Christine really felt that when she was trying to get pregnant and having a hard time. Even just to get to the point to figure out why it was that we were having problems was thousands of dollars later. And how much did access to money, how much did you think about that when you were dealing with infertility? All the time. All the time. I mean, it affected everything. It was like we were paying everything out of our pocket. And there was a large part of me that felt like you're just going to keep telling me to keep trying naturally because you know I don't have any insurance. And we tried for seven years, almost eight. Yeah. Yeah. Seven years is a long time. That's a long time. Yeah. We met Christine through her best friend, Kat. Kat wrote in to us when we asked for stories about when you felt most aware of your class. What prompted me to write, I think, is that this is a question that I've been waiting, like, I feel like really literally 20 years for someone to ask. Kat and Christine met in college. They both moved to Chicago after they graduated. Kat has two kids now, but she and Christine both struggled with infertility. And that's when their class differences really became clear and painful. Because Kat had more money, she had more options. I do, f I feel the sort of guilt <laughs> about kids. Um, and I know that she knows about that. We've, we've talked about that before. And when you said you've been, you've been waiting for 20 years for the question to be asked, does it not come up directly in conversation? Um, money comes up, but that's not really the same thing as social class. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like social class as a whole is such a is such a broad and I think bigger topic that it's access to money, but it's also it's access to privilege. It's, it's access to priv more privileged people. It's access to, you know, I don't know, using the right sh uh, salad fork, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, that it's not just money. And how do you define, how do you self-identify class-wise? 
my husband and I were talking about this last night. We ta- we classify ourselves as upper middle class. And where do you think Christine falls? It's hard. I think the, I think that her her background is working class, and but currently she kind of she's straddles the working and middle class. I would say. Do you feel guilty about money when you're with Christine? All the time. All the time. (laughs) I mean, all the time might be a slight exaggeration, but I'm always aware of the fact that it's just the luck of who's who who you came out of and how much that predicts, right, for the rest rest of your life. Who's who who? Whether or not. (laughs) Yeah. Who's who who? (laughs) Did I mention I went to graduate school for that language? Kat has a Ph.D. in sociology. But unlike now, when she was back in college, she didn't really think much about how different her background was from Christine's. I asked Kat if we could talk to Christine together. And when Christine got on the line, she told me she felt their difference as soon as they met. I would go do things like, okay, I'm going to go do my work-study job, and then I'm going to go to my fast food job. And then try to maybe squeeze in, like, oh, I'm going to clean this person's house. And though Kat did work while she was in school, it was like, okay, now we're going to go on spring break. And I'm like, well, sorry, I got to work. Kat, was that ever like a, did that ever feel like a bummer? Well, you know, yes, it did. Certainly it was nothing. (laughs) Christine brings the party wherever she goes. So, of course, it's always a bummer when she can't come. (laughs) Booyah. But I hadn't, I don't know, <laughs> I hadn't really thought about deserved or undeserved access yet, right, at 20. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, how, do you, how do you self-identify, Christine, if I were to ask your social or economic class? Oh, man. I would say now, um, close to middle class, maybe lower middle class. And growing up, definitely poorer class. And how do you think of cats? Um, you know, she has, uh, she has a really great background, you know, her parents both worked and, and had maybe not always money, but gradually earned it as she grew up. And I would say now she's definitely upper middle class. And this is a big question, but, um, Kat, when you think about what's the most uncomfortable dynamic when you have a very close friend who's in a lower class than you. What do you Mm -hmm. think of? The most uncomfortable thing for me is that sometimes is my own, like, kind of off-the-cuff frustration about talking about money. Like, you know, like, we took my kids on a road trip a few weeks ago, and, you know, so I had gotten, like, an Airbnb for us, and we rent, you know, we took my car and stuff, and I didn't really, I just, I didn't, I said it all without thinking about it, right? And then Christine said, how much am I going to owe you for this? And I didn't, and just the first thing that popped in my head was like, I don't know, Christine, we'll just figure it out. But it's those sorts of things where it's like I can immediately check myself and realize that that is, (laughs) I have a privilege and not everyone does of not having to worry about it, right? For me, that's the most uncomfortable part is that sometimes that I, I have to check myself and then I feel bad that I do. Christine, do you ever feel, is it ever feel awkward when you're figuring out who's going to pay when you're doing things together? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it can be, it has been, you know, sometimes it's like, oh my God, what are we doing? I, 
you know, I, there are times when I have to say, okay, I know Kat wants to hang out. Do I have the $40 to walk out the door today? And that's, that's more on my end and less about Kat. But, but there are definitely times when I'm like, okay, I don't know that I can afford that right now. I want to ask you about um, the kinds of families that you've built in your adult lives and how class has been a part of that. How much, when you were thinking about whether to become parents, how much did you two talk about that? Oh, man. God, Kat, I don't even know how to answer that. I feel like we talked about so many times, like, not even before Chicago, you know, like when I was engaged to a guy who was not my current husband, um, we ended up not getting married. Um, and I, I think at that point, Kat, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at that point there was almost a fear on Kat's part. And, and I think to be fair, some of my other friends and family members that were like, no, Christine, you can't do it. You can't have kids yet. You're going to get married and get pregnant. And then, like, then that's just it. That's just going to be your life. Yeah, that's right. How old were you? Um, 20, 22? 23, yeah. And, Christine, in that moment, is that a life that you felt like you wanted or no? I did. You know, I really... Um. I really wanted what I would have thought of as at that point, like quote unquote, like normal family, you know, two parents, a couple kids, the house, the car, the, you know, whatever, whatever that looked like at the time. And Kat encouraged you not to. I wouldn't say encourage me not to, but, but definitely let her reservations be known. Like, that's fair. You know, there's there's more of a world out there. Coming up, what Kat and Christine's friendship looked like as they both struggled to get pregnant. What they couldn't talk about and could. She has a family that like that's like rabbits, <laughs> that they have babies all the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is no shit. Like, you look at somebody <laughs> in my family sideways and they are like, it's so pregnant. It is not, un- it is not untrue. <laughs> For the last few months, we've been asking you to tell us when you felt your class status. Our thinking was, class is one of those things that can be hard to describe, but you know it when you feel it, especially in relation to other people. More than 400 of you sent in emails and voice memos with your stories and with your definitions of what class means to you. To me, class is a sense of pride or shame. Class isn't about choice. Class is a constantly moving target in the United States of America. Class is bullshit. Class is the things you do and don't have access to. As well as your ability to rebound from inevitable setbacks. I think that class is the type of thing that people can sort of smell it on you. There is so much wrapped up in our class stories. How we fear we're perceived, whether we feel safe, what even feels possible for us. 
That's why we're calling this series Opportunity Costs. These stories are about more than money and are all very specific to context. So we decided to go deep with five conversations. All this week, we'll be releasing an episode a day. Watch for them in your feed or go to deathsexmoney.org class. There, you'll see a link to BuzzFeed News. They're also running a series of essays and reported stories this week all about class and money in America. One more thing, for fun, we're building a playlist with the songs that you feel like represent your class status. So far, we've gotten some really good answers. Opportunities by the Pet Shop Boys, Recession Blues by B.B. King, Poses by Rufus Wainwright, What About Us by Pink, and Keep On Keepin' On by Curtis Mayfield. We just keep on keeping on. Go to deathsexmoney.org slash class to join in. I can't wait to listen to this playlist. On the next episode, Ramal Johnson, a student who worked double shifts at two retail jobs last semester to cover his rent. When I think about money, I think about how much I need to survive. (laughs) What did you picture your life being like when you thought about what it would be like to be a PhD student at Howard? Um, not like this. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. 
This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. How often do you all hang out socially? On the whole, do you think, what, twice a month, Christine? Oh, I would say at least. But there was some distance between Kat and Christine in the years after they both got married and both were dealing with infertility. After Kat lost a pregnancy and started looking into adoption, Christine had a miscarriage and didn't tell Kat. We didn't talk to most of our family and friends about it. She had her she had her cards close to her chest. I didn't even know that they were thinking about trying at the time. Kat, when you were adopting your first child, because money was involved in that process, did you feel comfortable talking to Christine about that? I think that it was, we talked about it, but it wasn't within the context of how much money it cost. Were you curious, Christine, how much money it cost? Um, you know, I would assume it was, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 at least, just from other things that I've seen online. Because my husband and I, when we were talking about the idea of, you know, if we can't have kids naturally, what would it take for us to adopt? Um, so I have a ballpark idea. And Kat, was that about right? Mm, yeah, it ended up being 30000 And, like, Kat, to be in your position of going through the painful experience of losing a pregnancy and so wanting to become a parent and also knowing that your best friend is, has struggled as well, just how did you how did you think about that, and how did you think about how that related to the kinds of resources you had access to? I have thought about it a lot, like I because my husband and I also it took us a while to get pregnant for that initial pregnancy, like well, it's three years, I guess. So, right, so three years, you know, now doesn't seem like that long, but at the time seemed interminable, right? Um, and all the, like, getting invited to the baby showers and everywhere, like, you, everywhere you turn, someone gets knocked up and that kind of thing. And, and <laughs> oh my God, isn't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> so it was also a place of connection for you, too. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for sure. And then, but when I think about the fact that Christine's felt that the, that entire time that I felt it, and then, and then since I've had kids... Yeah. But then we got the call about our son on a Friday to say you can pick him up Monday. Um, and that night that they called about my son uh, was my birthday. And so not to reveal too much about myself, but I got pregnant that night. <laughs> holy. Um, that's a lot. Holy cow. <laughs> Irish twins. <laughs> yeah. How about it? <laughs> yeah. And so I would also say that the shock and awe that came along with having a 10-month-old and a newborn did not lend itself immediately to thinking about Christine. Christine, did you struggle with resentment during that time in Kat's life? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But there was a part of me that also knew that, like, she didn't know. She didn't know because we hadn't told her. I hadn't told her. It wasn't until... Well, after I had had a miscarriage, um, that it had that I had finally talked to her about it. Um, but it was especially hard because she is my best friend to see her um, 
have the kids that she has now, you know, one through adoption and, and one through natural birth. And they're both beautiful and amazing. And, um, you know, I wouldn't want to, I didn't want to make her feel guilty about that. So you had to remind yourself that Kat didn't know when you would feel resentment yeah. during that time. Yeah. Did that work to yeah. sort of neutralize it for you? Yeah. That and bourbon? A lot because, well, yeah, that and bourbon. Um, you know, because I can clearly remember, like, Kat, when you called me the day that you're mm. like, okay, so by the way, I'm pregnant. I was like, wait, wait, what? And I was like, hold on. And I think I may have said, hold on, I have to go pour myself a drink. You absolutely did. So the drink wasn't just for like the shock and awe, but it was also to be like, okay, Christine, just, you know, chill out because none of this has to do with you. And it's about Kat right now. And that's okay. It's because it's like, okay, so let me get this straight. Like, she's adopted a kid. They've bought a house. They're pregnant. Okay. Like, there's a whole lot of money wound up in that. And a whole lot of happiness. And I didn't have either one of those at the time. Hmm. But you can't you can't say that to someone who you know has struggled really hard herself to get those things. Has Christine ever said that to you in those words, Kat? No. Do you want to say anything? It, just it's I don't know I there's uh, no I love you <laughs> there's nothing else to say <laughs> I know I love you too you know I've been talking to you about money in the context of your very long friendship um, but for for you both like how how present is the subtext of class and money in your friendship, do you think? Like, how much management does, like, little twinges of guilt take or little twinges of resentment? How, how present is that? Uh, you know, I would say that I think over time, over the years, I have just kind of let go of a lot of things or let go of of trying to compare or keep up or if there's a moment where it's like you know there'll be little moments where it's like oh of course Kat can do that because she can afford that and I can't and that's okay you know like you just get to a point where you or where I just let go and say it's okay because there shouldn't I there shouldn't be any guilt on her part about the things that I can't do because I can't afford them. 
you know? And so why bother concerning not only her with it, but also myself after a while? Like, okay, great. Like you want your best friend to have this awesome life. Of course you do. I mean, it is, I'm just thinking it's kind of remarkable that you met when you were college students and your lives look pretty different now, but you still sound, there's such an intimate, close-sounding friendship. You can hear it. I mean, does it feel like that? Well, she's pretty awesome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like now I, I value our friendship so much, but I also now really, really value Christine's role in my kids' lives, that they they wouldn't be as cool without her. That's best friends Kat and Christine in Chicago. This episode is part of a series on class called Opportunity Cost, and it's produced in partnership with BuzzFeed News. To read and hear more, go to deathsexmoney.org slash class. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the Center for Investigative Reporting in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Emily Botine, and Andrew Dunn. Thanks to Dan DeZula for his help on this episode. Our interns are Catherine Shu and Angeli Mercado. The Reverend John Delure and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find us at Death, Sex, Money. What are you all going to do now? Oh, we're meeting for a drink afterwards. And I said, I was telling her, we were texting back and forth before I came in. And I said, I don't want to go to this one bar. And she said, no, I've already cried at that one. So we were laughing about, like, what if we made a map of all the bars we've ever cried at together? <laughs> Wait, do you think you'll cry? Yeah. Is tonight a crying night? Yeah, we, were, we weren't sure. We didn't know what was going to come up, if it was going to dredge up anything today. You know, like, we wanted to plan for it. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC. 